Greetings and welcome to the I.O. Tower, a podcast for all things Tron. I'm your host, David Fleming. This is part one in my three-part series with Tron co-visual effects supervisor, Harrison Ellenshaw. Harrison tells us how he began at Disney as a math painter and how that work led him to Industrial Light and Magic to work on Star Wars and again later on The Empire Strikes Back. Before Empire, Harrison worked on Disney's The Black Hole alongside his father, famed matte painter and special effects creator Peter Ellenshaw, an experience Harrison describes as a true blessing. The Black Hole was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Cinematography and Best Visual Effects. After The Empire Strikes Back, Harrison found himself out of work when a desperate call from Disney led to his next job and a chance meeting with Steven Lisberger, who had just pitched Tron to Disney. Welcome to the I.O. Tower. Greetings, Harrison, and thank you for talking with me on the I.O. Tower today. It's my pleasure to be here. Tell us, how did you get started in the movie business? It's uh, it's a little bit crazy because um, growing up uh, in a family, um, my father's side of the family, his uh, stepfather was Walter Percy Day, who was a pioneer, if you want to say that, in the uh, in the effects business in England. And he worked on a lot of Corda uh, films. He worked on Black Narcissus and uh, Things to Come. Uh, I, I would go, but. I, I wasn't necessarily interested in following in my father's footsteps or trying to fill his shoes. I knew what he did. I was it was it was amazing. I I met Walt Disney. I but at, at, at the same point I was in awe of it, and I I hadn't gone to film school. I went to Whittier College and majored in psychology because it was the only it was the only courses I could pass and I was I was really lazy. I didn't I only went to to college because I didn't want to get drafted. And the Vietnam conflict was on then. Actually it was a war, but we don't like to say that. Um so I was just kind of bouncing around and just things would open up. I, I didn't really have a plan because uh, I always, things had always worked out one way or the other. And so why did I need a plan? I, I'll worry about that when I have to. <laughs> and um, But on the other hand, I grew up Disney because my father worked for Disney. And Disney, Walt Disney, was iconic. It, he had this, by industry standards, a, a, a small studio. It wasn't MGM. It wasn't Warner Brothers. It wasn't 20th Century Fox. It was, as people would say, it's like a college campus. Mm-hmm. And so they only had, and they still only have, four sound stages. MGM had 20. Wow. They were, I could be exaggerating, but um, it, it was another world entirely. And then, of course, as we all know, Walt, who was always one to take a chance, to, to gamble, uh, 
Snow White. Everybody said, nobody's going to watch animated figures for 90 minutes. Big hit. So, yeah. Pinocchio, kind of dark. I mean, ooh, scary. Fantasia, bombed. We don't remember that those times. And then the whole industry began to change. So Walt was a pioneer in television with Wonderful World of Disney, then Wonderful World of Color. And he was always right on the edge of, well, he did go bankrupt earlier in his career. But everybody needs a little failure, as Walt would say. You got to fail. And so it's not it's not what you do when you fall down. It's how you get up and brush yourself off. And so I saw that I saw that through my father and my father was um, he was, in a sense, my role model. My parents were my mother was uh, was born in America. My father was born in England. And so I had the best of both worlds. My mother was a coal miner's daughter. She she grew up. She had siblings, 12 siblings. Wow. He lived in difficult times in Pennsylvania. But my mother eventually got out of out of Dodge. She went and she became a registered nurse. She put herself through nursing school. She she was not one to feel sorry for herself. And so. These were the people that I was surrounded by. Um, I, uh, I went to Whittier College in Whittier, California, um, because it was, it was a small college and I was, I was afraid to go to a big university. And, and it's like, oh, I'll go get lost in the crowd. And even though I'm a loner, it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic, I guess. And um, then I went into the Navy uh, after I got out of Whittier College, uh, and I, I signed up before I graduated to go to Officer Candidate School in Newport, Rhode Island, where I became a, a junior officer. And again, I was just kind of like, oh, well, this, this is kind of cool. Gee, what next? Yeah. Okay, next, uh, you're, uh, you know, where would you like to be assigned? I, and one of them, seriously, one of my, I had three choices. And one of them was actually, I want to be at a naval base, uh, but not on a ship, maybe in San Diego, someplace sunny. <laughs> I'll be the movie officer. I'll get, you know, I didn't, just don't make me do stuff. So the Navy decided, nah, we're going to put you on a heavy cruiser. Uh, you know, after I graduated Officer Candidate School, it was a shiny new ensign. You know, still not sure which is port, which is starboard, but uh, I'll, I'll figure it out on the one. And I got assigned to, uh, to the USS St. Paul, a heavy cruiser that happened to be, um, I go, well, that, that's kind of cool good-looking boat and you know I'm an officer I I get I get 
good meals and wear a nice uniform. It's kind of, and I get paid. It's just like a cruise. It's just like a Caribbean cruise. <laughs> Except for the one factor that I seriously did not expect. The St. Paul happened to be in the South China Sea bombarding the Vietnamese. Um, I didn't really think much about that. And in fact, when I was on my way over, I read a book about the history of of Vietnam and, and the French and the French leaving. And, and I thought, boy, I don't think I made a really good decision. But I had signed on the dotted line. So I kind of made the best of it. And um, I learned a lot. I grew up in those three years. I, I became a man. I, I had to be responsible. I was a division officer. In, in charge of 80 to 100 mm. enlisted people, wow. many who ha- were in their teens, and they didn't like it. They didn't want to be there. Sure. But So, okay, flash forward, um, got out of the Navy. It was 1970, and I thought, this is great. I've, I've I've got my experience, my resume is going to look really cool, my experience, and as a psychology major, maybe I can get a job working in social services. It was a a recession. No, I went to job fairs. I said, but look, I was in the Navy. They go, yeah, you're an idiot. Why didn't you dodge the draft like everybody else? Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't think of that. So it it became a little bit frustrating. Wow. And um, I had a new bride, and I was running out of money, and I was very, very, very frustrated. I wanted to do something. Eventually, my father said to me, I was riding with him one day, and he said, I know you're probably not interested in going into doing matte painting. But uh, Alan Maley, who is at Disney running the matte department, uh, can't find apprentices. Nobody wants to paint like a photograph. So I I said, okay, but I'll only do it for six months. And I'll still look for a real job. Well, the rest is history. Alan became my mentor, he had, a, my father had an enthusiasm for movies, and so did Alan. And so uh, that it, at Disney, at the, those days, there, there were no VHSs. There, you, you went to a theater. Uh, but you could call up, uh, Disney could call other studios and have films sent over. Wow. And that was eye-opener to me. Wow. Alan said, kind of took me under his wing. Did you, had you had any painting, did you have any matte painting experience at that time or any painting experience? No. Wow. So you're a a real apprentice then starting out. I was a real apprentice. Right. I, of course, growing up watching my father paint and on occasion when I was very young, I say, I, I want to paint and I was, there were pictures of me 
outside sitting on a rock and, and painting something. Uh, it w wasn't very good, but it was it was intriguing. Yeah. And my father was also uh, took a lot of photographs. I mean, I still have most of them. There's literally tens of thousands of photographs. He always had a camera. So I learned about photography. I learned kind of through osmosis about different film formats and all those things, and I was fascinated by it. So one of the first things I did when, um, when I was in the Navy is I would, I, I, we were in Japan and I went, I bought myself a, a 35 millimeter single uh, reflex camera and I learned how to, how to take photos, uh, you know, f-stops, uh, film grain, all that stuff. It was fascinating to me, aspect ratios, and this, that, and other things. So uh, it, it was it was a matter of when I was hired by Alan, it only increased my enthusiasm, and I learned to be curious and I became so I would take the dailies up to the screening room and I'm, I, I'd take them myself and I'd make friends with the projectionist and I I had a curiosity I said okay okay this this is this but so if it's anamorphic how do, do you change the lens what do you do 185 175 all that stuff and they loved it because anybody who has knowledge in the film business i've found is happy to share it they're not afraid of giving away the secret and losing their jobs so anyway that's how i got into the film business uh and after the six months was up i said i'm loving this <laughs> i want to do it forever wow and Alan said, okay, well, you know, but um, uh, I'm not going to give you a raise. And I thought, oh, okay. Right. So eventually he said, okay, I'll give you a raise. And I thought, great, I'm going yeah, to be rich. It was $5 <laughs> extra a week. I said, $5. And he said to me one day, don't worry, the money will come. Very good. good. I didn't care. I, you know, I... If I didn't have to eat or support a family, I would have done everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it was heady stuff. It, things just kind of fell into my lap. I, I got called um, by the producer of Man Who Fell to Earth. Wow. And, and he said, would you be interested in doing some effects or matte paintings? on this film we're doing. And I went and I asked my immediate boss at Disney, I was working on Pete's track at the time, and my boss said, um, sure, you know, but you, you can't leave, you've got your responsibilities on Pete's Dragon. I said, no problem, I'll fit it in. <laughs> and the rest is history, eventually. Right. You know, because of Man Who Fell to Earth, I got a call to do a few map paintings on something called Star Wars. Wow. 
Wow. Talk about a charmed life. Yes. Yeah. That's an amazing that's an amazing path, an amazing journey to take to yeah. arrive at the door of Star Wars. <laughs> but it was uh, the part of the reason I took it was I loved American graffiti. Yeah. And if the guy who did American graffiti wants to do a space thing, fine. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of science fiction. Still not. I mean, I prefer reality. Yeah. I don't, that sounds really disingenuous, but uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for George, if it wasn't for Alan Maley, if it wasn't for a lot of people, I'd be you know, still waiting tables at uh, some place. Wow. So you worked on Star Wars. Yeah. Tell, us, tell me some about your your matte paintings for Star Wars. Well, because I was working on a Pete's Dragon during the day and doing matte paintings for that, um, I at the end of end of the, the day I'd go home and I'd have dinner and then I'd go into ILM, which was pretty much deserted because everybody had gone home and uh, but. I wanted to, they wanted to set up a matte painting department. Uh, and so I said, yeah, that's great. Here's my suggestions. But starting from scratch is really difficult because you're limited to bypacking and, uh, you know, the, the technology. At Disney, the matte department had existed for a long time. Mm. And so things were refined. You, uh, you understood or they understood that everything from the film to the lenses to the cameras to the rear projection versus this versus that. And it was pretty complicated, but it was already in place. So starting that up at ILM was a, certainly a challenge because it was the last thing on their list. Uh and I wanted to, I wanted to work at ILM. So eventually, it got to the point that um, I did half the shots at ILM, and I did half the shots at Disney. I've heard this story about these slamming doors at the, at this place that was to be called ILM eventually. Well, can you can you tell tell us a little bit about well it, Disney to go begin it, work at this place for Star Wars back in the olden days you wanted a very steady camera to take so of course ilm which was just starting had run out of room on the ground floor so they said uh we're going to put the 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 mat camera up on the second floor and i said well yeah but it's going to be plywood, right? It's going to be, you know, not to code. It's not going to be solid. They said, don't worry about it. Fortunately, I, I worked late, but there was, a, there was a door downstairs that everybody would, my mother would always tell me long ago, don't slam the door. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay. Well, it's going to come off its hinges. No, it's just, it's a, it's annoying. Yeah. So, yeah. so don't slam the door. So now 
the door is slamming, you know, downstairs, and there's a little, little vibration. So I, I said to, I think it was John Dykstra or Richard Edlund, I said, this is unacceptable. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I'm so important. I said, we got to do something about this. We got to move the, the Mac camera down to solid floor or something. And they said, uh, we can't do that. Tell you what, we'll put a red light when you're filming downstairs so people will not slam doors. You think anybody gives a crap about a red light? No, no, <laughs> go, no, no it's your fault. Why is that on crash? <laughs> Now, <laughs> back then, when you had a sound stage, it had padding, and when you were ready to shoot, they would lock the doors. So we're on a red light and a bell, and so the lock doors were locked, and there's a red light, and you can't come in while they're shooting. I didn't have that luxury. <laughs> Everybody ignored the red light, came in, slammed the door. That's great. But... And then the ironies of all ironies is that uh, when ILM moved from Van Nuys in Southern California up to Northern California in San Rafael, um, guess where the mat department? On the second floor. Oh, wow. <laughs> that lesson's not learned. So I was just wait, wait a minute. Time out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We ran out of room downstairs. We've got these tracks and motion control and optical. God forbid we put optical up because the vibration would, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't I say something earlier? <laughs> yeah. Live with it. What are you going to do? Quit? <laughs> so, again, <laughs> had a red light. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny what you remember. I, I I really didn't care. I just wanted wanted to work on Empire Strikes Back, which was much more pressure than Star Wars was because it was a sequel. And everybody, a lot of people, critics and so forth say, you know what? Star Wars was a it was a great movie. But why would you want to make a sequel? Mm -hmm. And that's that. And Tron, I think, were the two most anxious times of my life. I didn't want to be I didn't want to be the weak link in the chain. And we went from what a dozen map paintings to Empire, which had 80, 85. Goodness. So and the same period of time to get them done. So there were it was the first time. Uh, that I can recall that I actually uh, sometimes had sleepless nights thinking, this is too much, it's not going to happen. So was Empire Strikes Back the film you last worked on before the opportunity to work on Tron? 
what came out I worked on Black back. Hole before Empire Strikes Back. And so I left the Black Hole kind of early in in post-production. So you were working on the Black Hole at Disney. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, then, you began to pick up work at uh, for Empire Strikes Back at Industrial Light and Magic. Well, I, I made... I made the complete split because I was in, in Burbank and my father, who I worked with, uh, you know, kind of finished up. It was a wonderful experience, not the greatest movie, but working with my father was was great fun. So you worked with your father on the black hole on the black hole. He was the production designer and the visual effects uh, supervisor. Wow. It was uh, it was it was great fun and it, i had because i had worked on star wars i had in my in my father's view i had become his equal if you will so there was such mutual respect yeah and i loved that uh he still wasn't hesitant to say now maybe this would be a better idea or that and i accepted it i didn't resent it anymore yeah. uh so um and he was living uh, during the black hole he had moved to santa barbara which is about two hour drive away from burbank and um he he had retired from the business but the studio asked him to come back for one more time and he was hesitant, but I said, I said to him, I said, it'd be great, you know, everybody will be so respectful of you, you can kind of do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I said, okay, but he, he didn't like not going to bed in his own bed each night. So he'd come, he'd drive down to our drive on mm -hmm. Monday get into the studio uh, after lunch, and then he'd stay uh, two, three nights, whatever it was. And then he'd drive back home on Thursday. Yeah. And um, the studio got a little bit concerned. They said, well, you're not gonna be here Friday. He goes, so? <laughs> Harrison can take care of it. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fine. And then that was that was lovely. So I would I would finish up for him. I I was shooting miniatures, and uh, the mat department. I was in charge of the mat department, but I was very fortunate because uh, David Mattingly was one of the mat artists, and he did most of the mat paintings, and uh, I kind of fill in and do the best I could to keep everything moving. Yeah. Yeah. It was a wonderful time. <laughs> it was wonderful. Very that's so, yes, that's so good that you got to work with your father on as a map yeah. painter side by side on, on the film. It's wonderful. Yeah. And some people said, no, you, you don't want to work for your father. It's gonna, not going to work out. <laughs> well, it sounds like it worked beautifully. It's wonderful to hear. It did. It did. We. I can't even remember if we had a disagreement about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was so much mutual respect that, uh, yeah, it was a blessing. I miss him.
So you, you finished the black hole and we're working uh, Empire Strikes Back. What was next after Empire? Um, I, 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 I ask, uh, I asked George Lucas, um, uh, I, I said, do you think anything's going to come along between now and the next sequel, Return of the Jedi, which was three years away? And he said, no. So after, uh, Empire Strikes Back, I was, I was pretty tired. So Christine and I took a holiday, took a vacation. We went to New Orleans, uh, which I, I loved just the whole atmosphere. Yes. And um, I got a call while I was in New Orleans from a producer at Disney. And it was basically one of those, where are you? <laughs> On vacation. Okay, well, nice to hear your voice. What can I help you with? you got to get back here as soon as possible. Where? To, to Disney. We're in trouble. What does that have to do with me? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they had just pulled from distribution uh, Watcher in the Woods, oh. a movie that was starred Betty Davis. It was her hundredth movie. It was it was gonna be a big hit. It was uh, it was a Radio City musical musical theater and it was released in special venues and um it died i mean just dead on arrival Mm. part of the problem was that it had no ending rule of thumb to movie makers it's a good idea to have an ending (laughs) (laughs) so they wanted me to to come down to to burbank um and figure out an ending and uh, so i i did by that time everybody at the studio had you know the guard at the gate the janitor had had written an ending so they were frustrated because they didn't like any of them and i thought it's a win-win if i get down there and i can't figure it out well if I can't figure it out, nobody can. If I go down there and save the film, I'm a hero. I can't lose. <laughs> sure enough, shot the new ending, re-released the film, still win the dumper. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote a new ending to the film. Was this your first attempt at writing as opposed to matte painting for a film? No, I, I, growing up, I written scripts okay very good most of which were garbage but gotta start somewhere um so so you completed a new ending for watcher in the woods and what was next for you well i was sitting in my office twiddling my thumbs and um at disney and tom wilhite who was the head of production great guy uh who really help began the turnaround of Disney from family friendly to, you know, touchstone and, and, and doing less kid like projects. He walked into my office and he said, uh, this is Steven Lisberger. Uh, and I think 
you, Harrison, and Stephen should have a little discussion, okay? So Stephen then told me about uh, about his idea for a, a film which Disney had already purchased the rights to, which was Tron. And he was very enthusiastic about it, and I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. He said, okay, we do this codeless and cell flopping. And I thought cell flopping was you turn the cell over and flop it. I didn't, it was, I really, I was so out of my league. And he looked at me, Stephen looked at me, because I had worked on Star Wars and Black Hole. And, uh, and he said, would you be interested in being the visual effects supervisor? And so I said, sure. <laughs> Word to the wise, never turn a job down. Join us for part two when Harrison talks about that one time when... I get a call and I said, what's wrong? He goes, all the cells are stuck together. Oh my goodness. Stop everything. Music from the Tron and Tron Legacy soundtracks. Additional music is Lighthouse by Rory. If you enjoyed this show, please support the I.O. Tower at patreon.com slash ddprogram. Until next time, I'm your host, David Fleming. End of line.